Romans 8. Um, so we have been uh, walking through uh, life in the Spirit. And so this week, uh, we are getting into um, a little bit uh, more uh, to, as to what that looks like. And so there's some impaired, uh, there's a couple things that the Spirit is asking us, or Paul is asking us to do when it comes to the Spirit. Um, but before we, um, but as we talk about that, I think it's going to be really important or helpful for us uh, to go um, to Genesis in the beginning of our Bible and look at a few things. If you'll turn to the very beginning of your Bible, if you have a paper one or um, if you've got a uh, digital Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. And we want to get a few things uh, straight here as it relates to life in the Spirit and how God created us. And so as I walk through this, it'd be really helpful uh, to make sure that you guys know um, know what's going on. So let's jump in. So if somebody read for me in a loud, clear voice, uh, chapter 1 of Genesis, verses 1 through 4. All right, go for it. And so when we're thinking about the creation act, what does it say in verse um, verse 1? It happened at the beginning of kind of our reality. What is that action word? In the beginning, God did what? So what is the point then of creation? If you, any of you are familiar with this story, he, uh, we have this kind of scenario that God moves forward from in his creation, and then that culminates in what being created. Look at yourself. Us, there we go, very good. And so when we're thinking of things being created uh, in order, is the thing that's created first the most important or the thing that created last the most important? What do you think? No wrong answers except if you're wrong. All right, best is last. What is creation moving towards? If he's essentially creating an environment right for man to live in, then what would, what would the um, kind of primacy be? Who's, who is he making creation for? If he makes it and then, right, if I've got a lizard, I don't kind of throw him in, a, in an aquarium and then build stuff around him, do I? Right, anybody got a lizard? Nobody? Alex? My sister has a lizard named Alex. <laughs> And how she did it was she decorated her aquarium and then put Alex, the leopard gecko, in said aquarium. And he loved it. He's like, you created all this for me. Thank you so much. But I want you to think about uh, God's care for you and also as we think about that narrative about what he's doing before right? he puts man into that space. Does he think a lot of you? In that scenario, if you're creating a world that you're supposed to live in, and then it goes on to say at the end of uh, chapter 1 that he makes man uh, a uh, ruler over it. He says, I want you to steward this. I want you to uh, be fruitful and multiply, right? That you, are, uh, that you are to have dominion here, which means to have control over it, right? So it's for us. He thinks we're pretty important. Yes. All right, good, okay. The, hand, the questions get harder, so we want to make sure that the, the, we're good with the, with the easy ones. All right, now let's uh, go down into the second chapter. Uh, somebody read for me in a loud, clear voice, 2, 7 through 9. Chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. 
Excellent. So here we go a little bit further in the narrative, and we see that as man has created, uh, as man has been created, we get a little bit more uh, specificity as to what's happening. It says that God breathed into uh, man after he formed him out of the dust and gave him life. Who is the author of life for us, according to the Bible? God. And it says what? Seriously, breathed into us is the very same word that he uses is give us his spirit. So God is the author of our life, right? He gives it to us, and then he puts us in this garden that he planted for us. And then he caused um, out of the ground uh, many uh, trees, but he uh, takes exception with two trees that he tells us about specifically. And it's uh, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, how many of you, or how many maybe thought uh, younger or maybe think now, that man in the garden was created immortal, which means that he was created and he was not, uh, he could not die. Anybody think that when they were younger or now? Okay. Well, I want to remind us that God, that, uh, God did not make man immortal, right? He made, him to, uh, he made him to be in a relationship with himself, but he made him to have access to life. And that a life was life from this tree, and that is, access was granted through God. Now, this is really, really important as we get to our scripture today. So he also gave him uh, the option, uh, put a tree there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I want you to think in your head real quick, what might this be? So if, if he gives two trees, one is life that he wants from him uh, to eat freely from, and we won't go into this narrative, but he says, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I don't want you to eat it, but it exists. If he, if we are, uh, if we have the option, right, to know something other than God or have life in him, he has to put it in there because otherwise we don't have the option of knowing something other than him. But I want you to talk real quickly amongst yourselves what that might, what might that mean if we didn't have the knowledge of good and evil? This is like a real, a really hard question. I just want you to kind of kick it around uh, real quick with somebody beside you. What might it mean if we did not uh, have the knowledge of good and evil? All right? Have at it. What, are, what other thoughts? Yes. No point of reference. I like it. What else? Be like a robot. All right, well, we want, so uh, I'll accept your, your answer, and I maybe put a, a, uh, ask a n- new question. Is that what, so outside of the knowledge of good and evil is what God wants, is that what he wants? No. Okay. All right. But I, I like the thought. Yep. Okay. Okay. So I want you to think. Go ahead, Alex. Okay. So because um, think about when you're younger, okay, and think about what you knew outside of your relationship with your parents. Did you really know anything else? I mean, like you had some different facts, but basically they were your point of reference, were they not? Okay. They said, hey, this is good, this is bad, don't do this, this is fine, shoes in the house, no shoes in the house, right, eat your vegetables. Right, but as we get older, right, we actually form, and I think that's a good phrase, we actually form points of reference outside of our parents. And what happens to our relationship with our parents when we do that? 
Yeah, but, but how is that relationship with your parents made healthier when we go outside of them from a point of reference? It is not. We got some emphatic head shakes. Why? Or even yourself, right? And so this is what is at odds. We have life in God. We can freely eat from this tree. Or, because it says in the narrative, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. Okay? And so the reference is, uh, if I want a reference point outside of God, namely myself, right, then there's no life there. I can have life in relationship with him, or I can have whatever I want, but it leads to death. And so these are the choices that, uh, that he makes in this creation narrative. And let's look one more place, and then we'll get to our scripture. Genesis 3, 6 through 8, and I'll read this one. So after uh, the verse that we read, there's another narrative that comes in where there is a, a serpent um, and a conversation with the woman, and he is encouraging her to want to have a reference point outside of God, right? That, that that is good for you, right? So it's temptation, right? Trying to talk us into something that's not good for us. And so this is the result of that. So she's tempted. It's, the temptation is not sin. She's told why she should want to eat it, right? As we think back about why we're uh, life outside of our parents, we have kind of that same reference point. Man, that would be neat to be able to do something other than just what they say. Go places by myself, make my own decisions. Wouldn't that be neat? How's that going for everybody? (laughs) Amen. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she did something about it. So it's really important that we don't see just that she ate it, but that there's reasons for eating it. What are the reasons that she gave? Are these good reasons? It doesn't say like it was gross and it smelled bad. It says it, it looks like it was good for food. It was beautiful. And if I eat it, I'll be wise. I'll be, I'll be like God, being able to discern good from evil. And so she takes... She took and ate. And not wanting to be alone, she's like, hey, (laughs) eat some of this stuff. And then the eyes of both of them were open. Think back when you found that reference point or when you decided, hey, I'm going to make decisions for myself. What did that feel like? Real scary, right? Hard? Yep. Yep. Felt a lot of doubt because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. The eyes of both of them were open that they began seeing things that maybe they didn't see. They noticed they were naked. (laughs) Prior to, they didn't realize that. And when they heard the sound of God, which they'd heard every day of their entire lives, never did they hide before. This was a good sound to them previously, and now it's not. If I'm coloring all over the walls of my house, which my parents are not pleased with, right, and I hear a little jingle in the door, what does little Rob do? Does he look and say, oh, mom and dad are home. I'm doing something they don't want. 
right? I realize that I'm holding a purple crayon. (laughs) And I'm going to go hide myself because I was enjoying my authority, right, and um, and my kingdom, and yet the real king is here, and uh, <laughs> it's not going to be pretty, right? No, because they've got, a, they've got some cleaning up to do. As, as, we, think, um, as we think about that narrative, it's, it's, um, I really want you all to kind of sit in, remember the point of God making us in the relationship that he wanted with us and what we chose otherwise. And I would contend that we each have chosen that individually. Right, that it wasn't thrust upon us, that that is our lot, but we have chosen it. So let's look at our scripture, uh, Romans eight eleven through thirteen. But if uh, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Thinking about the narrative in Genesis, what does this sound like? But of the spirit who ra- who, of him who raised Jesus from the dead, what, how did uh, original man get life? Right, God breathed life into him. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So there's this insinuation, right, that outside of Christ, remember in the garden when we... The man, uh, the man and woman are put outside of the garden. There is a way blocked. They cannot have access to life anymore. And so what is their lot? They have chosen themselves over God. They have chosen what seemed li- uh, pretty and, and good to eat. And they chose that over life. It wasn't like, oh, wait, wait, but there was life in there. He's like, life, you can eat from it freely. This other thing, if you eat from this, you've got to go away. The insinuation, right, is that life is in God, is given, through, is, is given as we have access to him, and when we don't have access to God, right, there is no life. But the reminder here as we're talking about life in the Spirit is, if we are in him, and if we have the Holy Spirit, the same life that gave life to the first man, that gave life to you when you were born, The same life that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same life that you have in you as the Holy Spirit. That is a concrete truth. That we don't have a different spirit, we don't have watered down. The thing that made life in the universe is the life that you have. That's, that's, as we say, good life. It's a hundred proof. It's pure. So based upon then this truth that the same life that was there at the beginning of time has been given to you, we have verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, the thing that we've chosen before, but we're under obligation to this new thing that we have chosen, if we have chosen Christ, to not live according to the flesh. What does it mean to be under obligation? 
How many things in your lives are you obliged to do? That means you have to do it. What are some things that you have to do in no particular order? Work, pay for college. Laundry. I like the I like the different <laughs> dishes. Yeah, sleep. Got to do it. What else? Shower. You're obligated under social contract to shower. Yes. What else? Okay. So some of these are just things you should do. <laughs> You're not necessarily obligated to do them. So let's let's make a finer point. What's the difference between there's things we should do but being obligated? Pay taxes? Because what? What happens if we don't pay taxes? (laughs) Yep. Phone will get cut off, right? I'm under obligation if I want the phone to work. So what... What Paul is saying here is because that we have life in us, new life, outside of the life that God has given, we are dead. He says, because of that fact, that truth, that very simple truth, that we are under obligation to live according to the Spirit. It is not something uh, that we uh, can choose to do. He says we are obligated now, so make sure you're tracking with me before we're just going to go a couple more steps before we're done. Why are you obligated? If we are in Christ, right, what have you said you've chosen to do that Paul is reminding you of? Remember that we, were, we chose something other than God at some point and that separates us. God has made a way for us to be reconnected to him, to have access to this life again through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Why are we obligated to him based upon what we've talked about? We say we have. Because he gave us life. I like it. This is, we're getting somewhere. Maybe one more point. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty obligatory. Oh, okay. I was supposed to die and you died for me instead. Hmm. I should owe you something. I like it. That's right. So based upon the the access that he has given freely through himself, and because he's put that to you, and if you have said yes... Right, and change the allegiance and the Lord of your life from yourself to him, then by virtue of that, by virtue of saying, I have chosen you, Father, in you is life, he says, guess what? I'm going to give you life as well. And it's because of both of these things right, that we are obligated then to live in a new way. Live according to that new life. So real quick, last time, and we'll uh, hit a couple more things. I want you all to talk then about uh, what is 
uh, as you kind of sit in that truth then, uh, what then is, is hard about that? Is it the fact that, go ahead. Yeah, a lot of times. It goes against everything we want to do. Because I want to say what I do. Every moment of every day. And he says, um, but I gave, you were dead and I gave you life and Holy Spirit adopted you. Um, we're obligated. How many of you in the last month wanted to do something and then did the opposite because you were obligated to something already? Right? Is that a hard thing to do? Really hard, right? But you chose wisely because you were obligated. Why? Why did you make that choice and what did it feel like? Even though it was difficult, what did it feel like? Just anyone that raised their hand. Accomplished? Okay, what else? Nobody else liked it? Felt peaceful. Okay, I like that. That's what it's supposed to feel like, right? And so, so many of us, uh, depending upon kind of where we are in our relationship with Gordy, if we don't know him, kind of know him, really know him, have probably at some point felt, right, this, this uneasiness because we kind of know uh, the spirit in us makes us obligated and yet we don't want to live like that. We want to figure out any way to get out of that truth. Yes? All right, and we've tried, I've tried a long time. And so as Paul puts this in front of us now, I think that this is his grace reminding us a really hard truth. The first time that you were in high school and you had said that you would do something for your mom or dad, and somebody called you and asked you a better thing, uh, invited you to do a better thing than like mowing the lawn, (laughs) right? And you had a choice to make. Am I going to uphold my obligation, or am I going to go my own way? Man, like you probably felt that this week, haven't you? I've got homework to do, but there's this other thing I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing with obligations, right? It's, it's like you're not, you're not getting out of it. I had to mow. <laughs> oh, yeah, you go out, but, like, as soon as you get in, I'll, the, I'll have it gassed up real for you, ready to go. What a, what a good dad or mom, whoever, whoever made you do that. So this last verse, so, brethren, we are under obligation, not the flesh, to live according to the flesh. The insinuation is we are obligated to live according to the Spirit. 
For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so the question that I, I want you to really wrestle with is, and you should uh, find it in there, uh, Mason, why is the spirit life and the flesh death? Why is the spirit life and the flesh death? Well, some of it comes back to Genesis 1, the very plain, simple dichotomy of a life is found in Christ, right? Life is found in God. We have access to life through God, and we have access to death, that if, we're, if we don't have access to God, then where are we? We're outside of life. So the simple answer to why is spirit, life, and flesh death is because my flesh, my person, my, the authority that I have, allegiance to me, leads me away. from the God who gives me life. Because he made me to be in a dependent relationship with him, and I want to do the exact opposite of that. I want to rule my life. So as you think about that, what are we to do? Okay? All right? Amen? What else? What are we to do? Actually wrestle with that? What else? All right, here's, a, uh, here's a, a question. So do we, thinking, thinking about what we've talked about so, thus far, do we sin because we're bad, right, and somehow just, we just love it? <laughs> we just love doing things that God doesn't want us to do? Or do we sin because we are not rightly related to him? What do you think? Okay. But what's the preeminent thing? We'll get into the maybe the first argument. But why is the second thing true? Going back to the metaphor we're thinking about our parents, why do outside of our kind of parents' authority do we mess up so easily? Okay. So close. Huh? We don't have the whole picture. Yes. Because what? When you want freedom, what are you wanting? 
Yeah. Right. I want to do whatever I want to do. So if our problem is improper relationship, we think about where things kind of went wrong for us when we step outside of our parents' tutelage. And I want you to then, we're going to end here. Uh, turn with me to Matthew 22, 36 through 40. So this is the, uh, what Jesus calls the, fir- uh, the first greatest commandment and the, uh, the second greatest commandment. So the scribe comes up to Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So here's another way that you can put this. Teacher, what is the greatest good? What is the best thing that I can do in the entire universe? What an interesting answer. (laughs) And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Might have a picture coming up. So what's the greatest thing that you could do? What's the greatest good that can be done? And I want you to pay special attention to what is actually being said here. So it says to love. So uh, a good definition of love is me being for you over and against myself. Okay, I'll say that again. A good definition of love is being for you over and against myself. Okay, so I'm performing some action that is wholly helpful to you and not necessarily helpful to me in any way. Okay? I said, I want, so I want you to do that to the Lord, which is a name for master, person in control, creator, maker, sustainer of the universe. I want you to do something for him over and against yourself. The Lord, that's just kind of a, a true statement, your God. What's the insinuation here? From the, as the scribe has asked the question, the person is, Jesus is responding to him and he's telling the scribe he's your God too. What's the insinuation? He's not just some God. You've said <laughs> that you're my God. I want to give yourself up for your God and then And I want you to do this with what? Not someone else's heart, not half a heart, with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Basically, with everything you have, all the stuff that you've been keeping to yourself, I essentially want you to give all of that up. That is the best thing you can do. What an interesting response. And then what's the second best thing you can do? Do that exact same thing for everybody else. Do you love yourself well? 
Do you know what your favorite ice cream is? Do you know what jeans fit you best? Do you know what smells you like the most? Do you know what music makes you happy? Do you know when your birthday is? Do you know how much money is in your bank account? Do you know what you're feeling right now? <laughs> He's like, actually, I don't. That's not good. <laughs> I could keep on asking these questions, and you would nail it every time. He's like, yes, I do know that. I do know that. I do know that. I do know that. If you knew any of that stuff for anyone else, would someone say that you love them? Passionately. With a, without abandon. No, with abandon? I don't know how to say that. Right, you love them a lot. And so when he says the second best thing you can do is love others the way you love yourself, when we live according to the Spirit, that is what the Spirit is about. I want you to remember what when God created, what did he create for? You. Over and against himself. He loved you by making you. Do you understand that? Like you're not just randomly here. I'm not randomly here. Even though I chose to go my own way, he made a way back to himself. He made it access to life. And Paul is reminding us here, as he's reminding himself, that we are obligated because of that truth. Now, to finish up, what does it say at the end of Romans 8, 13? What's the last phrase? you're living according to the flesh, right, self-loving, <laughs> selfishly you will die. That is what happened in the garden. That's the picture. I've got life, and I've got death, and I choose this. And that's the way that goes. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So one of... Uh, so I want to then finish there. Just take a couple minutes, and I want you all to, to really wrestle with why is putting death the deeds of the body life? And so we'll end, we'll end with that. So if you have questions about that, like talk about that. So yeah, why is that? Why is if I follow the Spirit, which is for me, for God, for others, why if I'll follow that will I put to death the things that, that I'm so used to doing? And it's not saying that they'll die. It says you are putting them to death. Like you're literally like it's running around. You're kind of stabbing it, stepping on it. Renee, yeah. The bugs, yeah. She's like, don't, don't just like <laughs> kill those things, right? Make sure they're dead. If I follow uh, the spirit... Why, if I follow the Spirit, does that uh, put to death the deeds of the body?
Father, it is hard. As an American, as a male, as a person that has a job and pays taxes, I don't want to be obligated to nothing or nobody. And yet, as you remind me in your word what I was before you came and rescued me, that you remind me that as a believer I have chosen you, and you have said that this is life. To no longer walk according to myself, but walk according to the spirit that you have given me. As a father, I pray that you would beckon each of us out of our comfort. I love the picture even of of that Matthew's in a tax collector box, but it looks like a jail cell, and he's happy there. And I would anticipate that many of us are happy a lot of times with the lives that we lead, but yet we know where they lead. As a father, would you remind us that you and you alone are the giver of life, and in you and you alone in relationship with you is where life is found, and help us know, not think, but help us know that life is found in nothing else as we are tempted to chase other things. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity just to be reminded of that. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.